Are we good to go? Yes. Here's what's happening. Paul's writing to these Hebrew Christians, and you know what's going on. They're being persecuted. They're in trial. They're, 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 they're struggling in their faith. They're struggling to the point in their faith that they're thinking, man, maybe there are some things that I can do in my life as a believer in Christ that I can compromise a little bit and not, and not have so much come against me. You know, instead of being the wild fool for Christ like Paul talks about in Corinthians, I'll, I'll just kind of be that quiet believer. You know, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. And I'll still go to, you know, the services and worship a little bit. But I'm not really going to put my life out there. And that's kind of what was going on because the, the Hebrew believers were being tempted to go back into a slight form of Judaism. Not to completely forsake Christ, but you know what? To kind of say, you know, you guys like the Jewish stuff and circumcision and, and all the laws and everything. And you know what? We'll kind of hang on to some of those things so you don't give us such a hard time. That was what was going on. Because you've got to remember, it wasn't until 10 years after Pentecost that... Um, that Gentiles were actually being aggressively evangelized by the church. So in other words, for the first 10 years, the Jerusalem church, they, they, they observed a lot of the Jewish laws. Right, right Andrew? They did, they did um, uh, the, the hand washing, and they did meet with Gentiles, and, and, and they probably still at times uh, circumcised, because even Paul circumcised, was it Timothy? or Titus, he circumcised one of those fellas because they were giving him a hard time. So, so this is what was happening with these Hebrew guys. And, and, and they were being pressed by life to pull back in their faith. Does that not sound like us at times in our daily life for Christ? That we're pressed by life and people and just circumstances that, that Satan wants you to just pull back and say, look, he says, I can't get you lost, but I can surely get you maybe not living for God as much. And, and so he tries to pull back. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be like that. Remember what he said? Paul wants us to be like those dudes. And I know that's not really good preacher talk, but I get excited and, and, and I just start talking a little bit. In verse 12, Paul says, listen, here's what I want you to be like. I, want, I don't want you to be dull of hearing the Word of God. I don't want you to be lazy in the application of Scripture to your life. But I want you to be like those other people who through patience inherit their promises. In other words, take, for example, the people around you that endure these struggles for the cause of Christ. And then Paul, he gives us a great illustration Biblically, he gives us Abraham. See, the believers were about to give up. They had become slothful and dull. They were non-receptive to God's word. Their endurance was running out. And so here's Paul's admonition. I want you to be like those who are faithful. I want you to be like those who run the race and do not become dull in their application, but stay faithful to God's Word. It says you're thinking about giving up because it's taken so long for Christ to return. 
You're thinking about giving up because the trials in your life are very burdensome. You're thinking about giving up simply because living the Christian life at times is difficult. Why? It's difficult because we're going against the grain of the world. Our philosophy is completely different, is it not? I was talking to someone recently about Christianity. Oh, the, the, the printer at our, at our print shop this morning, Rob. And, and I was talking to him, I said, and I said, you know, Rob, Christianity, real Christianity is like this. Because he asked me a question, and I, and I was just trying to figure out a good illustration off the cuff. And I said, you know what real Christianity is? It's because Christ lives inside of us. When we are slapped on one side of the face, we offer the other side of the face. And he understood it wasn't physically we're wanting to get beat up. But he understood what was going on. I said, when someone asks us to give, to give them a coat, we're to give them our inner garment as well. When someone asks us to go a, a mile with them, we're to go two miles with them. It's, it's, it's being a Christian is sacrificing for Christ and for others because of Him living in us, not just because we're trying to be good dude. What did I say? Thank you. Do-gooders. It's because Christ is in us, we want to do good to others. And I've, I've, I've told them about the cross. The, I mean, every time I go in there, it's with some kind of gospel paper. So I told Lisa last week, I said, these are the most evangelized people in my life. Because every time we get a gospel tract, a leaflet, a paper, everything, they know about our holiday Bible club. They know about uh, all the different gospel tracts that we have. They know about uh, no other master. They know about all of it because they're printing the materials. And, and so, here's what Paul's saying. He said, I want to encourage you tonight so that you will stay faithful. His big issue is, do not quit. Do not quit on Christ. Do not quit in your faithfulness. Do not quit no matter what. So Paul gives us a story. He gives us an illustration of Abraham. Look in verse 14. Probably at first glance when you read this, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Does anybody know what? The Bible's referencing there. What? It's Abraham, yeah. Both of you are right. Yep. Lisa's back there going, Abraham covenant. Abraham and, and the Father of Nations. It's exactly right. He's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, verse 14 is actually quoting the confirmation of the covenant. Okay? Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, very front part of your Bible. And there in verse 17 of Genesis 22, it is, it is, the, it is what Paul just quoted. It is the confirmation of the Abrahamic promise of the covenant. And, it is, and this is what God said. That in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. That's the quote. As the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That was in essence a part of the Abrahamic covenant. But before we go on, we gotta un got need to kind of understand what this covenant is. What was the Abrahamic covenant? Basically, by definition, and I'll read verbatim what this covenant is. A covenant is a, an agreement between two parties. 
right? There are two types of covenants, especially in Scripture. There's the conditional covenant and the unconditional covenant. A conditional covenant is an agreement that is binding on both parties for its fulfillment. In other words, both parties agree to fulfill certain conditions. Covenant might be, Andrew and I get together, a a conditional covenant would be, we get together and Andrew says, okay, I will cook dinner for us tomorrow night, but you need to bring the food. Okay, so the covenant is that he'll cook dinner, but it's, but it's us eating is based upon both of us fulfilling our part of the covenant. I bring the food, he cooks it, then we eat. Okay, that is a conditional covenant. If either party fails to meet their responsibilities, the covenant is broken, and neither party has to fulfill the expectations of that covenant. An unconditional covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. God made promises to Abraham that required nothing of Abraham. God said, I'm going to bless you. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And and the truth is, from the time that Abraham was given that covenant back in Genesis 12, which we're going to read here in a moment, so you can go ahead and turn there. From the time God gave Abraham that, that uh, God gave Abraham the covenant in Genesis 12 to the time that um, uh, he began to fulfill it through having Isaac as a son, at least 20 years probably passed, okay, to the time of Genesis 22 where he confirmed this covenant again. But during that time, Abraham sinned, did he not? God said, man, I'm going to give you some kids, and you're going to have the stars, numbered as the stars of the sky, and all these children, and, and all this. And, 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 and Abraham goes, okay, so time went on, and still had no kids. And Sarah said, well, why don't you take Hagar? But God said, he'll give me one through you. He said, why don't you take Hagar? Do you see? God still was going to keep his covenant promises to, to Abraham. But he wasn't always faithful in doing what's right. He had issues and he sinned and he disobeyed God at times. And he'd come around and he'd repent and he'd get right with the Lord. But this covenant was God's promise to Abraham. And it began, like I said, in Genesis chapter 12. Are you there? Let's read verses 1 through 3 because this is the covenant. This is the full covenant. What we got in verse 14 in Hebrews and in verse 17 in Genesis chapter 22 was only a portion of the covenant. Here's the full covenant. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make, make your name great and, and, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You ought to underline that last statement. Because that we have received. Amen? That right there is the best part of that whole promise and covenant. That in, that in you, Abraham, all families, Jew, Gentile, doesn't make a difference. All families of the earth 
will be blessed. Now, what happens? Because that's the covenant. I, I wanted to give you the background. Now we're back in Hebrews 6, verse 14. I will bless you and multiply and all that stuff. What happened that God confirmed again his promises to Abraham? Why did God say to Abraham this confirmation in, in, in Genesis? Why did he tell him again? Look at Genesis 22, verse 16. We're not quite back to Hebrews yet. but Genesis 22, 16. Why did God confirm it? In verse 16, it tells us why. And he said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, because you have done this thing, and you have not withheld your son, thine only son. Why did God say to Abraham again, that in blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you? Why? Because Abraham did this thing. What was the thing that he did? He did not withhold his son. In, in a few verses prior to that, we find Abraham and Isaac up on top of Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is, is basically Jerusalem. Okay? And it's where we believe that Christ was crucified, probably in that very same area in which Isaac was to be, Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. And in verse 11 of 22, And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad and do, and, and, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, Abraham did not disobey God. God said to him, Abram, Abraham, take your son, Take a three-day journey, go to Mount Moriah, take him up to the top, and kill him. That was what God told him. Abraham held on to the promise of Genesis 12. What was that promise? I'm going to give you kids, and I'm going to bless you, and your seed's going to grow, and through, the, through that seed that you have through your lineage, the entire world will be blessed. So for three days, Abraham's traveling with his party and Isaac, who's probably between 14 and 20 years old, and he, they're going to Mount Moriah. And all of that time, he's thinking, but God promised me. But God promised me. But God promised me. God can't break his promises. But yet he's asked me to sacrifice my son. But his promise was, through my seed, the world would be blessed. And not through Ishmael, not through Hagar, through Sarah, through Isaac. So he's doing all of this. He gets up to the mountain. He lifts up the knife after having tied that boy down and laid him on the altar. He lifts up the knife. And at that moment, bah, 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 behind him in the thicket goes a lamb or something. And the angel says, no, 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 stop. Now I know, now I know. Then he says in verse 17, multiplying I will multiply you, blessing I will bless you. What's he doing? He's just telling him again this, I keep my promises. Please grab what he's trying to say to us here. I keep my promises. Oftentimes in the Christian life, we don't feel God there at times. 
He seems far away. And we think, maybe this wasn't right. But Abraham was reminded, you were faithful. And God said, see, I keep my promises. Abraham didn't disobey God. He, He listened. He held on to the promise that he was given at least 20 years previously. Pretty long time to hold them promises, right? 20 years at least he held on to it. And so because he believed his promises that through his seed Isaac would, be, would come the blessings, he didn't hesitate to offer his son. Why? He didn't know how God was going to do it, but he knew that God always kept his promises. I guess most people think he just felt God would raise him from the dead. Not really sure, but he knew God would keep his promises. And because he knew God keep his promises, Abraham was faithful. What? And the question is this. What is the Lord saying to us through this text? Here's what he's saying. And please hold this thought. Please hold this thought. We see this life through a veil. We see what God's doing in this life through a veil. One day, we will see as Christ knows us, because we will see Him face to face. Everything will be clear. Everything will be understood. But not till then. In the meantime, we walk in the veil. Because of that, we need to have some encouragement to keep us going. And this is what Paul's telling you. Here's the encouragement. I told you these couple of verses in Hebrews 6, 13, 14, and 15. So that you know this, that God came through for Abraham. God showed to Abraham that his promises are like his character. They're unchanging. They cannot be broken. And they cannot be altered. And Abraham, I've told you that I would bless you through that boy. And now I've asked you to sacrifice him. And though you didn't understand it, you held to the promise that I gave you because you knew that my promises were true. Therefore, if God's promises are unchanging, Paul says to the Hebrew Christians, so therefore you can also stay faithful. We're not faithful because we have great faith. I don't know about you at times, I feel like my faith is, 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 falters. I feel like my faith is like, it's like, yes it is, no it ain't. Yes it is, no it ain't. Do you ever feel that way? That's because I think sometimes we, we think we must faith it through. But man, this, this is the key right here. That we walk according to His promises. That we are strengthened Because of those promises. And what are simply God's promises? They are His character spoken to us. They are God's character spoken to God. His promises are as strong as His character. And His character is flawless and unbreakable and without sin. So, God came through through for Abraham and He can come through for you. The only job that Abraham had was to believe his promises. For us today, that is just 
for us to believe God's word. Roy, we don't have God speaking to us through voices. He, he just doesn't do that anymore. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, through the word of God. Okay? And that's because we can, we can check by the word of God. But if come, someone comes and just says, you know, I got a vision, and God spoke this vision to me, and it might go against the Bible, but this is true to No, no. If it goes against the Bible, it goes against God. And therefore, God would not say that to you. Does, does that make sense to you? You know, it is God's word is the path unto our life. God's word is the, is, is the light to our, our path. It is the lamp unto our feet. It is the truth that we live by. So, what happened to Abraham? The Bible says, that because Abraham patiently endured, he persevered, he bore the pressures and trials of life, he was long-suffering as he walked with, with the Lord, with God. Because of that, he saw the promises. It was through his patient enduring that he saw God come through. We don't see God come through sometimes because we do not patiently endure. We give up. We quit. We stop. But Abraham, the Bible says, saw the promises because he patiently endured. That term, patiently endured, is the exact opposite of verse 12. Look back at verse 12. Why don't some people patiently endure? Why don't some Christians carry on? Here's why. Again in verse 12. Because they become slothful. They become sluggish. They become dull of hearing. They become lazy in the application of God's word. They'll say something like, you know what? I haven't seen God do it yet. I'm tired of waiting. So I'm just not going to do it anymore and that's why they miss out don't think that God has to work to our timing God works according to his timing he's an absolute sovereign God do you know what that means that means he's totally in control his will is his will we are his servants and we are to be subservient to that so here's the thought in closing. And we're done early tonight, but here's the thought in closing. Why did Paul give this illustration of Abraham? Because he wanted those Christians to know that you can do just like Abraham can do. Okay? Just be faithful and trust God's word in your life. Hebrews 6, 7, Hebrews 6, Verses 17 through 18. This is how we can be like Abraham. The Bible says there in those two verses. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. 
What does that mean? It means this. That God has given to us His promise and His oath. Those are the two things whereby we can anchor our faith in. Not by what we see, not by what we experience, but we anchor our faith in the promise of God and the oath of God. What is the oath of God? Remember early on in the text, the Bible says that that man can swear by no greater, and when he swears by the greater, it confirms the oath. What that means is, and I don't know how court is done here, Nikki, but in America, when you go to court, and they swear you in to be a witness, do they do that here? So what they do is they'll take a Bible, and they'll say something to the effect, do you, do you promise to tell the whole truth? And Say it again. To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God. And they'll say, I do. In other words, they'll say, what they're saying is, I swear upon that statement of truth and by God that what I say is truth. It's true. God said, there's nobody greater than me to swear upon. So I swear, I give you my oath and my word upon my own character. Do you know the character of God is holy, righteous, unblemished, pure, beautiful, clean in everything? There's not an ounce of bitterness, not an ounce of hatred towards his children. There's not an ounce of pride or prejudice. There's not an ounce of anything negative in the character of God. And upon that character, God says, I hold my oath. Then he says, my oath substantiates my promise. And my promise to you, Abraham, was this. My promise to you as God's people is this book. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. My promise to you is if you call upon my name, you shall be saved. Do you understand? We can be firm in our salvation. We can be firm in our walk. We can, we can go against the tide. We can go against everything that comes against us. Not because we're superhuman Christian man, but because... God's oath secured God's promise. And by these two unchangeable, set in the word of God things, we can be faithful because of that. Do you understand what God's saying there? You need to stop looking with your eyes and start walking by faith in God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. His word is pure forever. And so by these two things, Paul says you can be like Abraham. And I, I love how he finishes it off in verse 18. So he says, God has given to us his, his promise and his oath. These both are unchanging because God cannot lie. Therefore, Listen to this. Those of us who have fled to Christ for refuge. Have you fled to Christ for refuge? Do you know what this is referring to? Right before the children of Israel went into the promised land. And Lord willing, not sure at the moment, but Lord willing, we'll be in Israel in nine weeks. 
Depends on if they stop throwing bombs at each other, probably. But we'll see. When they were fixing to go into the promised land, God had Moses set up this uh, plan for cities of refuge. Anybody ever hear of the cities of refuge in the Bible? The cities of refuge were these. If you accidentally killed somebody without malice, you know, you didn't hatred, you know, the illustration was you're chopping a log or something with an axe and the axe head falls off and kirks them in the head and they fall down dead. Well, because you killed somebody, all right, the family can come and kill you. So there are these seven cities of refuge that God set up throughout the land of Israel. And if you fled to that city, you were safe. So the word of God here says this. Therefore, those of us, though we were deserving of death, right? We fled to Christ for refuge. We went into that city. And because we went into that city of refuge, death could not touch us. Amen? For those of you who trusted him for salvation, for those of you who fled to Christ for refuge, you have a strong confidence expectancy in Christ. So you hold fast to him. You hold fast to that hope. So what is this Christian life about? The Christian life is not about God pouring blessings on our life, having riches and wealth, having, you know, go to Jesus so he can take everything bad away from your life. You know what it's about? It's about looking to that blessed hope. It is about having refuge in Christ and holding that expectation as this life goes around you and batter, bat, batters you and battles you. I'll say this last one again. God has given to you His promise and His oath. And those things are unchanging because God doesn't lie to you. Therefore, you who have fled to Christ for refuge, you have a strong confidence as we hold fast to the hope, that expectation of His return and His working in our life before us. You know what He's telling the Hebrew believers? Stand up. Stick it out. And be faithful. Because your hope in Christ is a sure foundation. And you just keep your eyes upon Him. Now next week, we will take verses 19 and 20 and go a little bit deeper into this thought where, he, where Paul says this, that this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And we'll talk about Christ as the anchor of the soul. But tonight, I'll leave you with this thought. Be faithful, children. Church, be faithful. Children of God, be faithful. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And this sounds corny, but you know the one who holds the tomorrow. So you fix your eyes upon him and you hold on to him. You be like a child to a parent. Oftentimes, the littles are afraid of stuff. And we'll go into a dark place or a dark room or we'll go into an area where they've never been before and they're fearful, aren't they, honey? 
and they cower behind you. And, and, and I'll say, we'll say to them, just hold my hand. And when we hold their hand, they walk forward, don't they? They go into the room. They carry on. And this is what this is kind of speaking to us about. You just hold on to Christ. Because the reality is Christ is holding on to us. We cannot lose what he has given to us. We are his children. And you ought to go memorize Isaiah 41.10. And I have it memorized except when I need to quote it. Someone want to help me out? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. If God says that hell or Satan or nothing will come against this church to destroy it, and if we are the church, amen, nothing shall come against us to destroy us. Our job, our walk, is to be faithful. Why? Because of his promises and his oath to us. His word, it just never changes. Amen? Amen. Any thoughts or questions?